Hello, children of all sizes and ages. Welcome to episode five of the Battle of the Ley Lines, the final chronicle. Don't you think you're unlucky? <laughs> if you were dropped into a fantasy land, what would you do? I would probably end up getting eaten by something large and scaly on like day two, and then spend the rest of my life as a slightly irritating ghost, just kind of wandering and complaining about being eaten. You know, life goals just takes away all responsibilities. On another note, if you want to know more about what's going on with the Greenlands, like updates on when the next episode is coming out, <clears throat> sign up for our newsletter on our website or check out our socials. Just search up the Greenlands or a variation of and look for the little green shield logo. For this episode of Battle of the Ley Lines, I would like to thank our amazing cast. James Hare, David McCran, Helen Verry, Kitty Bennett, Linda Dudson, Sam Perry, Vicky Holding, and Alex Gardner. Also, I would like to thank our amazing editor, Cal Graham, and our composer, Dennis Moen, who is also a good person. I am not a person. And hey, thank you to you too. I'm sure you are also a good person. The Baroness and Imelda are walking along the track with the Baroness talking constantly to Imelda. And Imelda, who is carrying the basket, is nodding. They approach Adamant, who is walking the other way, with no quiff now. Adamant kisses his mother's cheek and smiles and nods at Imelda. Good morning, dear. Good morning, mother. Imelda. We're just going to that termagants again. But why are you leaving? I'm not. I'm going back to the castle. No, later on. Ah, well, I'm going up to the Black Pint to bag some deer for Cook this afternoon. No, after the wedding, Quinn said. Ah, I was going to say later, I... Oh, don't go. You are the heir, Adamant. You'll be running the estate when your father's too old. I can't. I don't know my tithes from my tenants and my panage from my scrimmage. But there's no heroing possibilities here, Mother. And anyway, I'm in the way of Father running things his way. I'm sure your father would give you more say in things if you asked. Yes, but I've got to find damsels to rescue as well. There's only Imelda here. Imelda looks a bit affronted. Oh, we can find you a damsel to rescue and then marry, dear. It's no good, Mom. I want to find... My own. He smiles at her. Don't worry, Mother. Burb can run things after Parter retires, and I'll bring my wife back to visit you. He half bows and walks on. The Baroness is deflated, and the ladies walk on. Adamant bursts out of a door, followed by Burb. Look, you can't really be so dim. Let me show you. He sets off down the corridor, still followed by Burb, looking sulky. They come to the end of the corridor, round the corner, and come across Morag and Uissa in a passionate clinch against the wall. Adamant screeches to a halt. Ooh. Melodramatically, he grabs Burb and clutches Burb to him, clamping Burb's head under his arm and covering his eyes. Don't look, innocent youth! How could you, Morag? My own sister! Burb tears away the hands from his face and peers at Uissa from under Adamant's arm. Morag leaps away from Uisa, who also pushes herself off the wall and smooths her rumpled gown. Uisa glares at her brothers. He's my husband! Not yet he's not! As she stalks off and Morag scowls and cracks his knuckles. Burb wriggles out from under his brother's arm. Oh, I'm a beach on us! Burb squeaks and hides behind Adamant, laughing. Adamant squares up in a joke manner. For the honour of my sister! Morag rushes him, and all three collapse, yelling and laughing. Ah! 
<laughs> Jolly good. Burb tackles Morag and clings to his back like a monkey. The Baroness and Imelda enter the shop. The bell rattles and the draper's wife comes through and gives a cursory nod at them both. Good morning. Who is it? It's, uh... Oh, right. The Baroness smiles saccharinely. Now we've got the usual little politesses out of the way. Perhaps you could tell me if you've managed to get hold no, of that... No, couldn't get it. That merchant started selling all good bits of fabric to that elf girl. She leans across the table. I'm tabling a motion at next meeting at Village Council for a new bylaw. A new by... what for? To stop foreigners coming here and selling foreign goods. But I get my silk from the elf looms. They don't make it here. And the syrup on my breakfast pancakes only comes from the trees in the Twisted Mountains. I'd have to have uh, Gamma Crud's butter instead. And she oversalts it. I don't care. I'm having my monopoly back and keeping it. The Baroness rolls her eyes. Really? Well... Thank you for your help, Mistress Walleye. The Baroness and Imelda leave. The remaining four garrison trainee soldiers exit the courtyard through the curtain wall and Adamant and Morag walk away in the other direction, taking off their helmets. It must be me. I must be stupid. If I can't teach the basic of arm use and formation movement to a few men... No, it's not that. They deliberately don't learn so that they have an excuse if any fighting is asked of them. But they were happy to fight when they were brigands! Ah, that wasn't defence. It was plunder. I'm wasting my time here, Morag. Morag shrugs. I like it here. Adamant rolls his eyes. They arrive at the stable door across the yard where Quinn is waiting, letting down the stirrups of his horse's saddle. Adamant and Morag's horses are already tacked up and their reins tied to the rings on the wall. They have bows and quivers attached to their saddles. Hello, Quinn. Ready for some wild boar? Have you managed to bag the greloiching knife of Parter? Quinn smiles. Yep. They mount. <laughs> Adamant, Burb's got your horse tacked up. How did you manage to get him... Uh... I have my ways. Burb, can you open the gate? Robin's on his break. All right. Burb appears with a great goofy grin on his face. He is wearing Adamant's old chainmail tunic. It is holy and far too big for him, but he doesn't care. Burb waddles across to the gate. Morag smiles. Ah, that's it. Bribery. Adamant winks. The three young men ride out. The three young men are riding one behind the other, Adamant in front, Quinn at the rear, practising his fireballs. Adamant slows down his horse to talk to Morag. So, did you get that flower thing for Uissa then, Morag? Yup. Is it tenderly pressed and kept in your chapbook, close to your heart? Morag, doing his best to not get irritated, urges his horse on ahead of Adamant. Nope. I suppose that these botanical practices of lovelorn betrothes will become in handy when you return to Halastatin with your bride. Why are you talking so complicated? I'm not talking complicated. 
You are. You're declaiming stuff again. I do not declaim. I was just saying that I guess flowers and romance and stuff will be necessary to keep you so happy when you go back to your icy hole of a country. Adamant. It is not. Adamant. True. It is icy and is definitely a hole compared to here. I have been wondering how to keep Wisa happy. Oh, you asked the right chap. It's easy. Bring flowers and shiny things. Ladies love attention. Oh, and get her a minstrel to sing her songs. Also, you should make sure his taste is not for more than the ladies, or he will do more than sing. Morag nods, seriously considering this. Adamant looks uneasily at the trees. They are huge and old. Quinn sees this. Don't worry. The woods around here were blessed by the High Priest of Ildrich. They are spirit-free. Morag suddenly grins wolfishly. Maybe you should come to my city. We do not have trees, so no dryads to catch you unawares. I was not caught unawares. We see a blur as something large and pig-shaped bursts from the leaves. The boys are thrown into chaos. Adamant shrieks. Morag plunges after it, and Quinn is almost thrown from his horse. Ball! Sister Blodwin is busy filling in her accounts with her tongue sticking out. The door bursts open and Sister Lettuce comes in, ushering a male peasant who is holding his cap in front of him and twirling it around. Sister Lettuce comes up to the desk and leans over it. Oh, there you are, Sister Blodwin. What are you doing in Mother's study? My reflectioner's accounts. What do you think? Well, anyway, um... Gaffer Dandruffian has something to say. She pushes him officiously towards the desk. Dandruffian tucks his forelock and repeatedly nods in embarrassment. Well, mother... Uh, sister? Uh, well, sister, the village is axed me like. Devoir would listen about these. It's those demons. Go on. Yeah, yeah. It's that these demons, mutton be. Are they getting worse? And go on. Dandaruffian becomes even more agitated with his cap and facial expression. Uh, and we were wondering if perhaps you and the good sisters could... Uh... Uh, they want us to help them, but how can we when our demon fighters are both away? Uh, go on. So-so, uh, that's it, like. Sister Blodwin gets up and nods. Well, thanks for that, Gather Dandaruffian. She looks at Sister Lettuce, ironically. We'll put our heads together, Gaffer. Mother's back in next day or so. Perhaps you'd take Gaffer to kitchens for some nettle beer, Sister Letice. Mm, leave it to me. I'll sort things out. She stalks out, ushering Dandaruffian before her. Blodwin pinches her nose. Emelda is sitting embroidering with Uisa by the fire when the Baroness stalks in and throws herself into a chair by the fire. The Baroness throws a small parchment down on her elbow table and addresses Imelda. It's too provoking. The Marchioness has refused. The invitation? Yes. Louisa shrugs. Who gives a rat's heart? Rhea. Louisa, don't be coarse. She turns back to Imelda. We went to her daughter's. And you bought her that nice pony. I thought she was my friend. You should know by now. None of that crowd are friends with anyone. They're not even friends with each other. Imelda and I were at school with her. Louisa rolls her eyes and lifts up her embroidery. It says, eat cold steel, Mother Humper. 
and has loads of pretty flowers and leaves and bows embroidered all around it. Her son was born on the same day as Burb. Yes, he was. Where is Burb, by the way? Burb and Kazak are peering at the locks across the corridor from each other. I know it's here somewhere, cos that monk said so. Kazak stands up and rubs his aching back. Yes, but where, Boyo? I never knew you had so many blasted doors. Burb moves to the next door down, on his side of the corridor. He peers through the keyhole to the inside of the lock mechanism, which is fastened to the inside of the door. Yeah, but wishes. Just imagine... Oh, this is it. This is it. Look, look. Kazak rushes across to him, pushes him aside and peers through the keyhole. He stands up, mouth agape. It is. It's green. Look, you. Burb pushes him away. Uh, you go get a screwdriver. Uh, a screwdriver and I'll, uh, and I'll guard it. Kazak stands confusedly. Shouldn't we get that monk to open it? No. Uh, see if we can open it first. Go on. Kazak takes off at a run down the corridor. Burb is still standing, peering into the old lock from the other side. When Kazak hurries into the room, Kazak pushes him aside and starts removing the screws. You took your time. Yes, well, your dad was a bit suspicious when I said we were doing some mending. Burb shrugs. Can't think why. Kazak gives him the side eye. He manages to remove three screws, but then Burb pushes Kazak aside and snatches the screwdriver from him. Look, let me... He bends down and applies the screwdriver, and it skitters across the lock mechanism and cuts Burb's finger on the other hand. Ow! Ow! It's bleeding! Heckin'! Oh, nearly finished, anyway. Ow! I'll just put my finger in here to pull it away. Ow! Ow! I can't get it out now! Burb's finger is stuck in the keyhole. Great! Now it's bleeding and stuck in the keyhole. Kazak gets hold of Burb's arm and pulls... Ow, you nit! That makes it hurt more! He tugs and wriggles, but to no avail. Oh, rats! You'll have to go and tell someone, Kazak. The lock and the door start to rust around Burb's finger. Both of them stare at it in concern, bordering on terror. Uh-oh! Quinn, walking down the corridor, sees the boys through the three-quarters open door. He stops and peers. What are you two up to, then? Oh, Quinn! Um, my, my finger's stuck in the lock. And the lock is behaving weird. Oh, that's easy. You just need a bit of force. Quinn waggles his fingers on his burnt, scarred hand, and there is a zzzzp. Burb is horizontally thrown across the floor away from the door. He comes to rest, seemingly unharmed, and raises his hands in victory. Yay! Free! Ow! Well, who? A little green smoke is emitted from the lock through the keyhole into the corridor. The lock is looking very rusted now. Is it supposed to glow green like that? Uh, uh yeah. Um, it's Kazakh's new Get Stuff Unstuck grease. Uh, looks like it needs some more work. We were, um, testing it, thanks, Quinn. Quinn smiles and strolls away. Idiot. He suddenly looks suspicious and worried. I wonder what those two will wish for. Spillikins is replacing the chair beneath the Baroness as she is seating herself at one end of the table. Imelda and Uisa are sitting either side of her. The Baron stamps in. He is wearing his outdoor gear and he's carrying his crossbow. He looks at the table. Oh, hello, dear. Did you do... He leans over the buffet, lifts the chasing dish cover and extracts a lump of ham. 
boy's not here? Um, they ha- haven't... Uh... Uh, tell them I'm up the black pike this morning, and if they want to bag that stag, they had better get a move on. He devours the ham while storming away. Adamant, Morag and Quinn come in and bow to the Baroness and Imelda. Good morning, ma'am. They head for the buffet. Remove a cover and start grabbing sausages, wrapping them in napkins and shoving them in their pockets, together with bread rolls from a piled plate. Hello, dear. Hello, gentlemen. Have you... Can't stay, mother. Got to go. He blows her a kiss and the other two bow as they race out of the door, still stuffing sausages into their pockets. The Baroness sighs, reaches, collects post and starts to open it to the plate nearby her. Imelda and Uisa butter their rolls. The Baroness reads, her jaw dropping, and throws down the parchment angrily. Oh, the Countess isn't coming now either. Well, it will be less of a worry, Bertie. Uisa shrugs. They're just snobby champagne socialites. The wedding will be much more fun without them. Bob comes in through another door. He is scratching his ear and has his finger in a bandage. Hello, dear. Have you a sore finger? Uh, hello, Mum. Just a mouldy lock that didn't work anyway. He goes up to the buffet and removes a chafing cover. Sister Blodwin is stirring a pan. Sister Botwaga comes in. Looks annoyed at Sister Blodwin and puts his hands on his hips. I'm supposed to be making my spiced warmy for solstice. Well, I'm making me puddings, so you'll have to wait. Can you go with sanctuary? Because the congregation will be here tomorrow and I'll have to wait for a groundsel. Otwaga turns to go. <sighs> All right. Oz, who is pretending to be Sister Birkenwald, comes in as Botwaga goes out. He looks to see that they are private and slips his arms around her. Oh, my love. Come with me to the arbor, where you can slake my ardor. Blooming areas! There's no slacking yours. Look, I'm busy now. Mother is coming back tomorrow, and with the solstice rites in the morning. Go and polish all that knobs up Mother's chair or something. I'll be with you this evening. I'd prefer you to polish my knobs. He winks at her, and Blotwin looks up at the ceiling. She swings the heavy ladle at Ozzy's head as he backs away, laughing. I be gone with you, you heathen. Oz smirks into his sleeve and pulls his hood over his head, pulling his scarf over his face. As he heads out of the kitchen, he almost knocks over Sister Letice. He catches her by the waist and twirls her around, tango style. Uh, sorry, sister. He saunters off, leaving Letice blushing and staring after him suspiciously. Mother Euphemia arrives first at crossing the tracks and looks around. Sisters Patience, Mavis and Bluster hurriedly arrive and they all start pointing to different arms of the crossroads. Mother Euphemia is hurried and looks at her tiny pocket sundial. They are going to be late. She kicks her donkey, beckoning the others to follow, mouthing, hurry, hurry. The four priestesses arrive and dismount rapidly. Do you think they're in the sanctuary by now, Mother? Oh, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. I pray we are not too late. Come on, my children. The Baroness sets off at a half-run down the track through the woods to the sanctuary, followed by the others. Mother pulls ahead of them as they approach. Suddenly there is a bright flash and a loud boom.
That was episode 5 of the Battle of the Leylands, The Greenlands Presents. I would like to thank the venerable Cal Graham for editing this episode, and the musical Dennis Moen for musicaling this episode, you know. If you want more Greenlands-themed art or updates, check out our Instagram, The Greenlands, sign up for our newsletter, yada yada. Drop us a review, tell us you love us, or tell us you hate us. You know, just, just, just tell me things. I like to hear things from people. Anyway, love y'all, thank you for your support, and see you next time. Enjoy Christmas, and remember... Are you sure that's Grandma you're sitting opposite at the dinner table? She looks a little hairy, don't you think? Anyway, bye. <laughs>